Awesome. It's really good to see everybody today. Let's pray one more time, and we're going to hop right in the Word. Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house and in your presence. And Lord, uh, we don't take that lightly. Father, in fact, Lord, we just celebrate today that you're a God who's alive and you're a God that still speaks to our hearts. And uh, Lord, because you speak, we open our hearts today. And uh, Lord, we don't come with any uh, preconceived ideas. Lord, we just come with uh, just an expectation of what you want to do in us and what you want to do through us. And so, Holy Spirit, uh, you are so welcome in this house today. Holy Spirit, come and speak. You so have liberty to say whatever you want to say to our hearts. We are not people that uh, believe that we're a God unto ourselves and that we're trying to do everything on our own. We realize we need you. And uh, so thank you for being here today. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for life change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Listen, in in mid-March, we as a church made a commitment to go on a uh, time of just fasting and praying. And uh, while we were, you know, on our fast, um, basically I felt like God, uh, you know, wanted to challenge all of us to pray for you know, really simple yet courageous prayers. And on, the, on that list, once again, there's four of them. On the top of that list uh, was a prayer that we titled the Search Me Prayers. Anybody remember that? So, you know, that particular prayer was based off a prayer that King David prayed in Psalms 139. It simply says this. It says, search me or inspect me or evaluate me, O God. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? says, and know my heart, test me. And I love what verse 24 says. It says, point out anything in me that offends you. God, point out anything in me that, that doesn't please you. Now, listen, even though our fast ended on Easter Sunday, uh, I felt like I needed to continue to pray that prayer. I don't know if I was the only one, but I felt like I just, you know, out of the four, that one in particular, I needed to pray that. And uh, as I've prayed it over the past two months, I've done my best to, to listen to God and, and just simply uh, have an open heart and obey with whatever he told me. Because uh, sometimes God's voice is, seems really loud and sometimes it's just that whisper that you need to listen to. Amen? So, you, you know, I, I just know this, that when... That when God is typically nudging me in a certain direction, it's simply because he wants to reveal something to me in that. It's either he wants to deal with something now that's in me, or, or even maybe he's preparing me for something in the future, right? Trying to just get my heart in the right spot. So anyways, as I uh, prayed that prayer over the last two months, I've been pretty amazed at how, how not only how God has been faithful to his word, but also how gentle and loving he has been towards me and pointing out stuff in my life. And, uh, you, you know, I think maybe more now than, man, the 20 years I've served him, it's like, man, I, I've experienced a gentleness. I can't stress that enough. A, the gentleness of God like I've never experienced it before. Now, it doesn't mean that the last two months have been easy. Uh, to be honest with you, they're, they're, inwardly, it's been kind of difficult. Uh, but it's been really, really good at the same time. You know what I'm talking about? So today, uh, I just simply want to invite you. Just to, to, to walk, just maybe with me, uh, just for a second, on my search me journey. And uh, today, as I just share a few things that have been roaming around in my heart, I, I just want you to open yours. That's all I'm asking, is that you would open up your heart and just think maybe for a second that God might want to speak to you too. Fair enough? That sounds pretty harmless, doesn't it? So here's uh, kind of where I'm currently at. Uh, for over the past week, I haven't been able to shake four words. In fact, I heard it the other day. And, uh, and it was this, and it's actually on the screen, those four words, the power of humility, the power of humility. 
You know, my response to that is, maybe just let me say this first. You know, when God says something like that to you, it's not because he's trying to come pat you on the back to tell you how awesome you're doing. <laughs> Can I get a witness? All right, so, um, so, so my, my prayer has just been this. God, would you point out any area in my heart, in my life, where I'm not walking in humility? And so that's kind of what I want to talk to you about today. And uh, I will say this, the, the subject of humility is a very broad subject. It's all throughout the Bible, and there's a whole lot of angles, and I've tried to keep it uh, just, you know, as clear and precise as I can, but I'm probably going to leave something out here, and I'm probably going to give too much in the same time. All right, so let's kind of get moving. I will talk fast today because I need to, but um, anyways, so here's a basic foundation on humility. You guys ready? Humility means this. I think we're all familiar with this. It means to be lowly in heart. It means to bow down. But the, the one I like the most that I found in the Greek language, it means this. It means to be willing to stoop to any measure that is needed. What a powerful definition. To be willing to stoop to any measure that is needed. You see, at the, at the uh, core of humility, it's really all about the condition and the attitude of our hearts. Amen. And, uh, you, you know, let me maybe clarify this just, to, just in case there's something here. Uh, humility is not a self-hate. Okay? It's, it's not. It, nor is it a, this, this self-abasement that just that walks around and says that you can't do anything, that you're trash, that you're nothing. And nor is it this attitude that presents itself to people that says, you know what, I, I, I can't do these things when the reality is as you can. Right, so humility really works with reality. So often we get into false humility and we try to act like we're just something when our heart says we're not. Does that make sense? So anyways, when it comes to humility, I think God's pretty straightforward with us. In fact, he tells us kind of that he he expects us to walk in humility. In fact, I'll just say it this way. Humility is the way of the kingdom. And uh, so, anyways, here's what God expects of us. He expects us to seek humility. He expects us to humble ourselves, to be clothed with humility. He expects us to show humility to all men. Somebody say all men. And and he actually, he expects us to do this, to serve him with all humility. In fact, I love what God says that he will do for the people that are humble. He says that he will not forget them, that he will not forget their prayers, that he'll hear their desires, that he'll teach them his ways, and that he'll crown them with victory. I love that. And then he says what humility will actually release. These will be on the website if you need them. Uh, he, he says that humility actually releases guidance. It releases his honor, his riches, and his kind of life into our life. That it releases salvation. It releases an increase of joy. It releases wisdom. It releases grace. It releases revival. I really like that one. And he also said he would do this for the humble. He said he'd lift them up. He'd exalt them. That he would uh, make them great or he would give them advancement in the kingdom. He also said this, that those who are humble would have the opportunity to dwell with him in his presence. So in short, God is saying this, that when we humble ourselves, that we are really positioning ourselves for all of that. That's pretty cool, huh? Pretty awesome. Now, with all that said, how many of you guys know it's impossible to read throughout the Bible, to read about humility without uh, bumping into the opposite, which is pride? It's impossible, right? Uh, in other words, God doesn't come and knock on your door and say, let's talk about the power of humility uh, because he doesn't want to talk about pride. Just that's the way it works, right? So anyway, so um, pride means this. 
It means an unwarranted and excessive opinion of one's own abilities, superiority, and quality. If I can maybe give you that in a real simple statement here, it would be this. It would be overestimating ourselves while we underestimate others. So now here's the thing today. If, if you're sitting there and you say, well, I don't really have pride in my heart, that's evidence that you have pride in your heart. <laughs> it just is. It's, uh, you know, the, it's so true. L- listen, the Bible says this. Uh, God was talking to us, and he said this. He says, when your heart is lifted up. He doesn't say if your heart is lifted up. He says when. Because he knows that, guess what, there's going to be times where we really uh, struggle with pride. Is that true? And, and I think this, that the more, uh, the more spiritual you become and the more mature you come, the greater the battle will be in that area. Because, let me maybe just kind of say this. Because it's easy to, to maybe, I, I'll just hop way ahead of myself here. But, it, but it's easy that when God starts using you, like if you pray for people and miracles happen, or you lead someone to the Lord, or let's say you've been praying for somebody and they get saved, whatever the thing is, okay? Or, or maybe you're just, man, fantastic at serving. Um, but basically the temptation there is to steal from God, is to steal His glory. Make sense? And, and it's, it's as if we, we think in our hearts, it, you know, if I wouldn't have intervened there, then it couldn't have happened. And what that saying is, is that, Holy Spirit, my, uh, my actions in that situation were greater than yours. Because we forget in that, that, guess what? Jesus died for them to provide all that. The Holy Spirit drew them so they could have all of that. Am I making sense to you? So the Bible's pretty straightforward about how God feels about pride. He tells us this, that a proud heart is sin, that's an abomination, that he hates it. Then he goes so far to tell us what he'll do to the prideful. He says he'll resist them or he'll oppose them, that he will not respect them. And then he said a prideful person will experience these things, that they'll experience shame, strife, dishonor, uh, deception, destruction in their home, that they'll uh, basically experience frustration and confusion, that they'll experience destruction and failure in their lives, and that they will experience a stumbling in their lives. In other words, they continue to fall all over themselves. And then he says that he would do this to the prideful, that he would bring them low, that he would humble them, and guess what? That they would remain at a distance from his presence. He actually says that he will see them from afar. Now, who wants that? <laughs> no thank you, right? No thank you. So today what I want to do is, is you know, just shift gears. Once again, that's just some foundational thoughts. Um, the day that God said to me, the power of humility, I went, okay, God, I need you to give me an example of what in the world you're talking about. I need this. And, uh, and so uh, instantly a story from the Bible uh, came in my heart. I had to actually go look to figure out where it was at because it's not one that I visit frequently. But it's this. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And I want to talk about this today before we get into a little bit more of the details. But uh, for clarity's sake, let me tell you what's happened in chapter 25. In chapter 25 of 1 Samuel, uh, Saul is still the king of Israel. <clears throat> and... You know, all of the uh, quote-unquote official wars and official battles that were being fought were still being fought by Saul's big army, right? The big army that he was in command of. Uh, but off to the side, because we know that, uh, we know that Saul and David, uh, Saul didn't like David too much, right? Right, he was trying to kill him. So uh, basically out in the wilderness, uh, David was there and he had 600 fighters with him, right? 600 mighty men. 
And uh, these guys were spending their time fighting tribes. And uh, these tribes were obviously not your typical army that was obviously from the same great city. Uh, these were tribes that lived in the wilderness, and they made their living uh, by overrunning small villages. And what they would do is they'd go into a small village, they would assault the people, steal their livestock, plunder, uh, you know, all their goods. And uh, what was so interesting is, is not only were these villages vulnerable to these guys, but the people who were the most vulnerable to them were the shepherds who lived out in the fields. Now, these shepherds obviously were not... Uh, Great men, great women, their job was to simply to watch over the flock uh, of some wealthy person. Are you following me? So, listen, while in the wilderness, David and his men, uh, what they did is in chapter 25, they took it upon themselves to protect the shepherds and the flocks of one particular man named Nabal. And uh, you'd think, okay, why in the world would David waste his time doing that? And here's how it's beneficial to him. It's because according to the custom of the day at that time, when the sheep were to be sheared, uh, it was common for the owner of the animals to basically set aside a portion of the profit that he made uh, to those who protected the sheep and the shepherds while they were out in the fields, right? So there wasn't a written law in this. It was simply uh, just a common courtesy to say thank you. Am I making sense? So the day came, we're going to pick up here in verse 6. So the day came basically, and David found out, man, it's time to shear the sheep. And so what he did is he gathered 10 young men from those 600 men. He said, hey, I want you to go to Nabal, and I want you to basically ask him for a payment. Ask him for what he would give us. And so we pick it up in verse 6 here. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is the message that David sent with his servants, or his 10 guys. Not servants, but his 10 guys. It says, peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. It says, I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us in Carmel, it says, We never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men, and they will tell you this is true. It says, So would you be kind to us, since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provision you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. Fair enough, right? David's message there was friendly, it was gracious, it was peaceful, uh, he wasn't demanding, it wasn't threatening, and, uh, and basically David just said this, hey, anything you can spare, we'd be grateful. Are you seeing that? And, uh, but there was only one problem with this, is, is it was Nabal. <laughs> Nabal couldn't care less what David had done for him. And uh, all because of one reason, Nabal lived for one person, and, he lived, and that was himself. And, uh, you know, the Bible actually describes this guy, if you read what the, what the Bible says about him, it describes him as being harsh, hard, stubborn, uh, belligerent, and a dishonest man. And to top it all off, get this, his, his name Nabal actually means foolish. His name means foolish. It means senseless. His mama really loved him. <coughs> man. So, Listen how, listen how this foolish guy named Nabal responded to the message. And I, and I want you to, let me maybe pause here. Uh, today, do yourself a big favor, okay? Um, I think the tendency when we hear a message like this is to think about somebody else. Bless God, my wife really needs to hear that one. You know, my husband needs to hear it. You know, oh, I'm glad sister so-and-so is here. Listen, just open your heart up and say, okay, Holy Ghost, talk to me. Right, Okay. So listen to how Nabal responded to David's message. Once again, it was a message of kindness. It says this in verse 10. Nabal says, who in the world is this fellow David? It says he sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Watch this, verse 11. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws? 
who come from who knows where. Now, as you can see, Nabal did one thing. He lifted himself up so he could bring David down really low. Once again, remember, pride will overestimate yourself and underestimate others, right? So rather than being grateful for everything that David did for him, what happened? His pride caused him to repay David's kindness with what? With insults and disrespect. Now, as you can expect, when, when you know, David's sitting there, he's, you know, obviously sitting in their camp. He's expecting these 10 guys to come back with some good stuff. You know, maybe they're going to throw some steak on the fire. I don't know, right? But, but anyway, so the 10 guys come back, and they're empty-handed. And then they say, hey, hey David, here's, here's what he said to us. And how do you think David responded to that? <laughs> the Bible says he said three words. Get your Swords. He didn't take too kindly to that one, right? So what happened was is 200 men stayed with their stuff and 400 men went with him to squash this little ant. It's a little overkill, isn't it? That's like, that's like trying to kill, I don't know, a black fly with a flamethrower. You, you know, it, it is just doesn't make a lot of sense. But anyways, but, but thankfully, one of Nabal's servants had enough sense to know what was coming. Watch what he did. In verse 14, it says, Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Nabal's wife, Abigail, and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. It says, These men have been very good to us, and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was taken from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. Remember, who would try to come and get them, right? Kill them says, you need to know this and figure out what to do. No pressure. <laughs> it says, for there's going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered, talking about Nabal, he's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. This guy's so prideful, he was unapproachable. You know, it's kind of like one of those things, can, can you know, just think for a second. I, here's where I kind of keep going back to in my head. It, it's not so much how we are with our with people out and about, but how are we with our families? And, you, you know, it's like, man, uh, you know, is our spouse unafraid to approach us with something difficult because of how we'll respond? So what happens is, is Abigail, in her wisdom, she does this. We'll speed up here. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two jugs of wine, five slaughtered sheep, a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes so what she did, she took all of that really quick, pretty impressive, and she threw him on a donkey, and she uh, hurried as fast as a donkey will go to meet David. <laughs> Those things are not fast. But watch this. Here's what's amazing to me. Instead of throwing her husband under the bus and, and being finally rid of him herself, wouldn't that have been a great day for her? If you're married to a guy like that, what, what did she do? Watch this. She protected him. It's amazing. She protected him. It says in verse 23, it says this. It says, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey. It's the whole reason we're reading all this right here. Let's go. Got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet. Remember what humility means. And she said this. Watch this. This is unbelievable. I accept all the blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. (laughs) Thanks, dear. 
It says, but I never, watch this, she says, but I never even saw the young men you sent. It says, and here's a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. Listen to David's response, verse 32, and we'll, we'll be done. It says, David replied to Abigail, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. <laughs> now, 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 listen, we're all laughing, but you need to understand, this is the same guy that would not touch Saul. So he's trusting the Lord there, but then this guy insults. If that guy's trying to pin him to the wall with spears, this guy insults him. He's ready to go kill him. So it means something when he says, boy, you stop me. Right? And then he says, for I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. So the guys that he protected, he was about to kill. Then it says in verse 35, Then David accepted her present and told her, Return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. Here's the simple point here. Is gang, that is the power of humility. You know, it's just simply this. What an unbelievable example of what can happen when we are willing to stoop to any measure that is needed. Think about that. When we humble ourselves, he can change everything. Watch, he, he, can, he can bring a stop to a conflict. He can mend a broken heart, heal a broken heart, fix a situation. I mean, he can do anything when we get out of his way and we humble ourselves and let him move. You, you know, that's why the Bible says this. It says, a gentle answer turns away There you go. It's called the power of humility. Are y'all seeing this? Let me give you a thought here. I think it's pretty neat that the name Abigail, I never looked it up before, but one of the meanings of the name Abigail means this, a father's joy. And, And this may be a crazy idea, but I just think that when you and I make the decision to walk in humility before all men, not just those that we deem necessary, but we walk in humility in all men, that it brings joy to the Father. How cool is that? But I have this thought at the same time that when we walk around and we act prideful, right? Because we all do it. Listen, there's not a person in this room that doesn't struggle with it, so let's not act like we don't, right? But, but when, we, when we do prideful things, if it's blatant or if it's subtle, it doesn't matter. And that moment, guess what? Then we are like a navel. We look foolish in God's eyes. So I just think this today, kind of as we're, as we're moving forward here, I think that every person in this room, and I am definitely talking to myself. Remember, I'm saying you're joining me on my journey today, right? Is that every one of us have a little bit of navel in us, just as every one of us have a little bit of Abigail in us. And there's that conflict of spirit, which is always humble, and flesh, which is always prideful. That's going on inside of every one of us. All right, so here's what I want to do. And hopefully I won't overwhelm you here. What I want to do is I, is I want to take a second and I just, just tell you some stuff I'm thinking about. And, and kind of give you some things that I think that rob us. Uh, from being in a posi- position for God to bless us, 
All right, just certain attitudes of the heart, okay? Here we go. The first one is this. It's called being self-centered. Being self-centered. A person who is wrestling with pride feeds off a desire to be served, to be right, to be noticed, and to have their wishes catered to. In other words, it's all about them. You see, a self-centered person will do this. They will be uh, arrogant and conceited. They will want to be the center of attention. Uh, they'll try to make themselves look better than they really are. Uh, they have a difficult time in serving and sacrificing for others. Why? Because most of the time, they're just so concerned about their own needs and their own wants. So this person, as self-centered, tends to not have a whole lot of compassion. Uh, and what's so unique is, is if you can get this person to serve, uh, the, the way you can get them to serve is if it benefits them. And the reason is, is because, remember, they have a desire to be seen, to be noticed, uh, to be rewarded, to receive praise, uh, to get attention, to have the approval of, uh, of others. And, and it's kind of like this. If, they're, if, a, if their efforts aren't noticed, they get their feelings hurt. Am I making sense? Uh, the person that's self-centered has a really hard time submitting. And the reason is, is because they're really independent. And, and because they're independent, they inwardly resist... Any authority. Basically, they find it difficult to really work for someone else or to work with someone else. In other words, they have a hard time with teamwork. Okay? And the reason, that, the reason is because these people like to be in control. They like to be in charge. Um, you, you know, basically, all of that stems from this fear of them being viewed as less than others. So this person is self-centered. Man, they get their feelings hurt if their opinions aren't considered when a decision is being made. They get, they get their feelings hurt if they're not informed when decisions or changes are being made. We've never done any of that. Let me give you this verse here, Philippians 12. It says this, Philippians 12. That's not Philippians 12. There's no 12 chapters in Philippians. Uh, I believe that's chapter, is that one or two, y'all? Two. Thank you, Leah. It says this. Uh, it says, don't be selfish. Don't be self-centered. Don't try to impress others. Get that. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Can't get any more clear than that, can it? So check out this thing that C.S. Lewis said. Pretty, pretty good quote. He said this. He said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. Remember, it's not self-hate. It is thinking of yourself less. Great quote. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Number two, um, this would be me all day long. Not all the aspects, but this is me. This is where I'm getting gone. I just say that, th- listen, the reason I say that is simply do this. Help you put your guard down. That's it. To let you know that, guess what, you're not alone in this. Here we go. Number two is this, is, is being defensive. It's being defensive. See, a person who is wrestling with pride will become defensive when they are criticized, corrected, or challenged. Does my heart good? No, I'm not alone. <laughs> Listen, the defensive person, watch this. This is so true. Defensive person tends to be touchy, irritable, and ultra-sensitive. They tend to get their feelings hurt real easy. They tend to be easily offended by the comments and actions of others. And uh, they rarely are willing to admit their part of a conflict or disagreement. 
The problem with this is that they have a pattern of blaming others while excusing themselves because they always want to give themselves grace, even though they're not willing to give it to other people. They want to give themselves grace. But the danger of this is, is that really keeps them from experiencing true life change because it keeps them from owning something and allowing God to work in their heart. So last thing here is that they rarely ask for forgiveness. And I want you to think about this for a second. Um, when is the last time that you actually told somebody, hey, I was wrong there. Would you please forgive me? So, li- listen, y'all, listen. Some of us hadn't said that in 20 years in our marriage. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? You know, if, when it comes to a person, I think this is so unique, that when a person is defensive and someone comes along and says, hey, here's one of your flaws, here's where you made a mistake, they immediately do this. They immediately point out the other person's flaws and a past mistake. Well, oh, yeah? Right? Or they do this. They go into some self-protective attack mode. And what they do, they use sharp, condescending, angry words. In other words, they're having a great day Someone says, hey, you did this, and immediately, whoo, everything gets amped up, and it's on. Yes? One more thing here. True humility, this is, man, so good. True humility isn't knocked off course and thrown into a defensive posture by challenge or rebuke. And the reason is, is because a true humility is teachable. So, l- listen, we, we know this is true. Just, once again, Jesus said... Once again, I'm meek and lowly. In other words, I'm humble, follow me, right? Set my example. But, but we, we know this is true because when Jesus, uh, basically when they, when they amped up uh, the pressure on him and they begin to challenge him and they begin to, um, you know, accuse him, what did he do? He grew more silent and more still. How could he do that? Because he knew the Father was his defender. And I think that's the thing, man. We get, in, we get in positions and we think we have to defend ourselves. But I want to ask you today, because this is what I'm asking myself. Quentin, how well has that worked out for you? When you've tried to defend yourself, does it resolve anything? No, it does not. So, so why not make a decision in your heart to let the Father defend you? L- l- listen to what Proverbs 12 says here. It says this. It says to learn or to grow or to be better what God's called us to do. Guess what? We must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction, no matter who it comes from. You you, you know, can I tell you a problem that's in the church? is when somebody shows up on our doorstep and maybe they don't know God or maybe they're less spiritual than us and they correct us, we don't receive it because we think, how dare they? Right? And it's, once again, it's self-righteousness. But, but it's that, man. You, you know, can, I, maybe let me ask you this. Do people feel the freedom to show up and go, hey, this is in you? That's the scary part. Right? You, you know, as, as a pastor, you know, I... You know, I look back and I see how many pastors have fallen just in the 20 years that I've been saved. And that's the thing that I, that I ask is, man, who, could anybody go to them and say, Pastor, this is in your life? And I don't want to be like that. Are you following me? Yeah. Number three, we've got to hustle here, is they're opinionated. They're opinionated. 
See, the problem is people with this one, they say, well, that's my personality. No, that's your pride. <laughs> right? And, and I am talking to myself in this one uh, because sometimes I feel like my opinion needs to be heard. It don't need to be heard. It doesn't. It's not that, it wasn't that good in the first place, right? So, but a, a person who is wrestling with pride will have a hard time keeping their thoughts to themselves. If I can say it another way, they can't keep their mouth shut. So here we go. An opinionated person tends to do this. They readily voice their preferences and their opinions even when they're not asked. That's the key part there, even when they're not asked. And when they do voice them, guess what? It's with little compassion or consideration for others. Oftentimes, they just blurt out their thoughts with little knowledge of the details surrounding the situation. I tell you what I do. Well, that's fine. We thought about that seven steps ago. Am I making sense? So anyways, so a, a person that's opinionated, they tend to think that their way is not only the right way, but it's the only way. They tend to frequently interrupt people when they are speaking. In fact, they don't listen well. And the reason they don't listen well is because the whole time the person's talking, they're, just, they're, not, they're blocking them out. They're just formulating their, their response. Right? That's pride. Because you're, you're, you're not considering the other person. You're considering yourself as being elevated, more important, in what you have to say than what they have to say. Think about when you get in a fight with your husband or your wife there. There you go. So they'll frequently correct and criticize people. Or this, they're controlling and they intimidate others. They tend to be argumentative, harsh, easily frustrated and irritable when people don't agree with them. Ouch. James 1.19 tells us this. You got to love Brother James. He said, my dear brothers, the New Living says, and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, so he's talking to all of us, right? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Number four, it's people are demanding. When we are demanding, pride demands things. So a person who is wrestling with pride will have a sense of entitlement. I've kind of said this over the past few weeks, but we'll we'll hit it again. A a demanding person will constantly bring attention to the things that they do not have. um, Let me say it this way. Things that have not been done for them rather than being thankful for the things that have been done for them. It's like this. The reason is because they continually think that they deserve more and they deserve better than what they already have. These people expect things to be done their way. They expect people to do things for them. And uh, by this, they're essentially saying this. Did you not know I'm superior to you? In case you didn't know. These people tend to look out for their own rights because they feel, once again, entitled to what they deserve. Uh, They will grumble, be discontent, whine, pout, and even be divisive until they get what they want. They lack gratitude because, once again, they expect things. So here's here's my question for you in this. Just a thought. What would happen in our lives if we gave as much effort in fighting for uh, our hearts to stay humble as we do if... So, I'm not saying this right. But if we gave as much effort in fighting against pride as we do in fighting for our rights and our privileges. Am I making sense? That, That if I actually fought for humility and I fought for peace and I fought for resolution as much as I fight for my own rights to be right... Let me read something to you. Um, years ago, another embarrassing part. Years ago, uh, my pastor gave me this. And 
I didn't really know what to do with it when he gave me. I've never shared this public, publicly, but I keep this in my Bible. Um, I, he gave it to me, and I, I just taped it in there so I could read it from time to time to keep my heart right before the Lord. Okay, So this is something that keeps me in check, and uh, I'll read it to you. Anybody ever heard of a guy named John Wesley? Okay, founder of the Methodist Church, Fireball, okay? Uh, this is actually two letters that he wrote to two people, okay? And uh, J- John, John didn't mince words. I'll just say it like that before we get going here. <clears throat> the title of this one is, is Wesley Reproves a Young Minister. <laughs> so this is to Mr. John Trimbath. It says this. This is John's letter. He says, the plain reason why I did not design to speak with you at Launston, I don't know, some English town, was that I had no hope of doing you good. <laughs> Thanks, John. In other words, I didn't have, you know, that whole thing. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all. That's what he's saying, all right? He said, I observed long ago that you are not patient of reproof, and I fear you are less so now than ever. But since you desire it, I will tell you once more what I think concerning you. He said, I think you tasted of the powers of this world, to, powers of the world to come 13 or 14 years ago, in other words, of the kingdom of God, and were then simple of heart and willing to spend and be spent for Christ. He says, but not long after, not being sufficiently on your guard, you suffered loss by being applauded. In other words, you did a really good job and people celebrated you, it went to your head. Says this revived and increased your natural vanity, which was the harder to be checked because of your innate stubbornness. He says, Oh, remember from whence you have fallen, repent and do the first works. First, recover the life of God in your own soul and walk as Christ walked. Walk with God as you did 12 years ago, then you might again be useful to his children. And then this letter over here on the right side. This is to uh, Mrs. Whitehaven. said this. He said, My dear sister, for some time I have been convinced it was my duty to tell you what was on my mind. He said, I will do it with all plainness. You may answer this letter or not as you judge best. He says, Many things I I have observed in you which gave me pleasure, some which gave me concern. The former, in other words, the good things, I do not need to mention but the latter I must, or I should not myself be clear before God. He said, the first of these is something that looks like pride. You sometimes seem to think too highly of yourself and to despise others. I shall mention two or three particulars. Number one, you appear to be above instruction. Number two, you appear to think that none understands the doctrine of sanctification like you. He says, I know several, both men and women, who both think and speak so scripturally of it as you do, and perhaps more clearly, there is something dark and confused in your manner of speaking concerning it. And then number three, you appear to undervalue the experience of almost everyone in comparison to your own. That's humbling, eh? says, another thing which gives me concern is, is I'm afraid you are in danger of enthusiasm. And then he talks a little bit. Then he says, basically, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Pretty well, huh? So let me, let me end with this. I was going to read one more thing to you, but I won't. 
let me throw some quick questions out to you, all right? Once again, let's just open our hearts. Uh, nobody is blasting anybody in here today. Hopefully you, you see that, okay? I, I'm, not, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody here. I mean that. Uh, but here's some thoughts. Do we desire to receive credit and applause for the gifts God has given us? Do we desire to be noticed when God uses us? Do we want people to know how spiritual we are or how much we pray, how much we study, how much we serve, so on, so on, so on? Do we think we are more spiritual than those around us and even more than our spouse? Do we always feel the need to have the last word? Do we want people to know when something was our idea? How well do we work with others? Do we struggle with self-pity? Are we impatient with others? Do we hate to wait? Same token, are people always waiting on us? Are we moody? Do we have outbursts of anger? Do we withdraw and hide from others when there's a conflict? Are we a perfectionist? Do we think we are more gifted than others? Do we become frustrated when people don't think like we do or when they're not as gifted as we are? Do we take ourselves too serious? Or can you laugh at yourself? Do we have a critical judgmental attitude? Do we look down on others? Do we have a hard time being told what to do or being told no? In fact, when we, we're told that we can't do something, how do we respond? Do we have a hard time asking for help? Do we have a hard time admitting our struggles? Do we have a hard time being specific about our sin when we ask for forgiveness, or do we keep it in generalities? And lastly, are we headstrong or stubborn? Words of Fred Sanford, I'm having the big one, Elizabeth, right? Man. <laughs> Listen, here, here's why I'm asking all of, all of these questions. It's simply because of this. Because it's hard to obey God and to clothe ourselves with humility when we don't think we have pride. It's really that simple. You, you, you know, but once again, l- listen, I, I cannot stress this enough. So often when it comes to pride, we go, well, uh, well, that person has pride. I keep asking myself this week because it's, you know, just, God, let, let me keep my eyes on me here. You, you know, let me, see, let me see me, please. Don't let me worry about anybody else, me. <laughs> and, uh, and at the same time, I'm just going, okay, God, will you please let the power of humility change my heart, right? If, 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 if the power of humility can change that enable situation, then surely he can change me, right? So, so today, um, let me maybe, I'll, I'll say this and I'll be done. Let me go back and finish saying what I was saying. Once again, it's, I, I guess I want us to look at this today, not so much from, man, this is some big thing, but even, even allow the Holy Spirit to look at the subtle things in our heart. And because part of, part of what pride does is it goes, oh, well, that's not that big of a deal. And you excuse it and you move on. And, but the problem is, is, man, that thing takes root and it begins to grow. Right? And after a while, that cancer has consumed us. And we don't realize it's consumed us because we've just kind of kept doing our own thing. 
And uh, most people won't go, hey, you got an issue there. <laughs> right? And so what happens is, is, is so often, I, you know, I'm just convinced that so often when the Holy Spirit nudges us, we really don't listen. Is that okay? Yeah. Now, now, ministry moments, oh yeah, we listen. But when character stuff, right? So, let me, final thought, is the greatest form of pride is this, is trying to live life without God. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart today, that is the greatest form of pride. Because see, humility really at its core is saying, God, I need you. It's a dependency on God for all things. It's that understanding, if it was not for the grace of God, I couldn't do anything. You, you know, the, the funny part is, is, is wasn't planning on saying this, but I'll say it, is, is over the past few years I've had a few dreams. And, and I don't say this that, you know, this is not, this is a heart check dream, I guess. But, but in my dream, I am standing right here. I might have told you all this before. I'm standing right here, and I cannot get anything to work. I'm, I'm literally going, what verse did I tell them to go to? What am I going to say? I am so unprepared. I have nothing in this moment. And those things for me are a reminder that what would it would really be like if the grace was lifted. Right? So often we take things for granted and we think, man, I'm really good at that. Well, you wouldn't be if the grace of God was lifted. Are you with me? See, part of the grace and the anointing that's on our lives, and, you know, grace and anointing isn't just for preachers. It's for everybody, right? To do what you do. And if that anointing, what happens is the grace and the anointing make things that are very unnatural natural. It makes it simple on purpose because it's God moving on your behalf. Right? So when that thing is lifted, that's what, that's what you know, when people come to me, I, you know, I think it's really cheesy when, when people say, that was great, and they go, don't look at me, look at God. I think that's so cheesy, and I struggle with that. We joke about that, right? But here's what I try my best to do. When somebody goes, Pastor, that was awesome. I, go, I just go, thank you, because I don't want to be super weird, right? <laughs> and in my heart, I go, God, I give you all the glory. Because I know me. <laughs> right? Okay. Awesome. Let's stand to our feet, please. Our ministry team's going to come forward. Um, I'm going to ask the... I'm going to... Um, yeah, Rachel, if you want to play, that's fine. But, but I want to ask the, you guys in the back in a second, just play some music. Because um, here's what I want to do. I just want to give everybody room today to... I want to give everybody a room today to just have a moment with God. Um, in the course of any of this, if God highlighted something for you, uh, confess it, repent of it, and ask God to do only what He can do. You, you, you know, p- part of me, I will help you here in this moment. Part of me that I've had to deal with even this week and just subtle thoughts was, is this, is wow, if I wasn't the one preaching, what would happen? Stupid. Right? There's always a ram in the thicket. God doesn't have to use me. This place isn't going to fall apart if I walk away from it. Right? If, if, are you with me? People's giftings, people's money, people's, all these things that we get so called up. And that may not make any sense to you, but in the church, this is God's. And I've had to remind myself that. 
God, this is yours. And you know what? You're the one that makes it work or don't work. It's up to you. Am I making any sense to you guys? Amen. Let's pray. After we're done praying, these guys are down here uh, and gals at the altar. If you want prayer for anything specific, they'll pray for you. If you need to ask Jesus in your heart, uh, man, they're here to pray for you and help you along in that journey. But we'll pray and uh, we'll wrap this thing up. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you. Lord, I know it's uh, somewhat of a sobering atmosphere in the moment, but that's okay. Uh, Lord, that's, you said your word that you discipline those you love. And Lord, this is a way that you love on us. You don't come to beat us up. You don't come to jack us up. You just simply come to just love us forward into you. And so, Father, today we open up our hearts. And, Lord, if you've highlighted anything, I know you've highlighted stuff in me. God, we just say today, God, we repent. God, we repent, we repent, we repent. And, Father, we ask that the power of humility would so invade our lives that it would change us. God, we pray, God, that even even people would go, wow, they're different. So, Lord, thank you, God, just for increasing the humility in our hearts. Father, we thank you, God, that you today, that you're not really after uh, some moment to hurt our pride. You really want to kill our pride. And so, Lord, we invite you to kill our pride. We invite you to nail it to the cross. So, Lord, it's not just uh, maybe it's the way we internally think. Maybe it's the motive of our heart. Maybe it's the way we treat our spouse. Maybe it's the way we treat people. Maybe it's the way we look at people. Whatever it is, God. Uh, nothing's off limits. God, come do only what you can do. So, Father, we just commit our hearts to you. We commit our lives to you. Jesus, thank you for being so good. Holy Spirit, thank you for being awesome. In Jesus, and we pray. Amen.